Well, we're in this series on the return to worship, and just to give you a quick little recap of what's going on in Malachi, the people are in the, 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 the place where they've been believing for, wanting to get back to the, the promised place, the promised land, if you will, and the people were complaining to God and even accusing God because they're coming back to the place that was promised, but they weren't experiencing all of the ideals of the promise. They got back to the place they were supposed to be, but it was still a tough place. And I think that's a lot of sometimes the tension in the relationship with God is we think just because we're in the right place, it's supposed to be easy. But I would say more times than not, we're in the right place because the place needs you more than you need it. You didn't get it. A lot of times the place needs you more than you need it because God wants to do something through you in the place. You have a sphere of influence and the Holy Spirit wants to use you to spread his character into every place. And the people in Malachi in this time, they're back in the place, but they don't like the struggle. So God reminds them, he said, listen, I love you, but... You're not even giving me true worship. You're giving me defiled sacrifices. You're calling me master. You're calling me father, but you're not acting like I'm your father. You certainly are not acting like I'm your master. You, I'm at, he, God says, I want a costly worship of you and that you are a, a priesthood, a royal priesthood, but you're not giving me any sort of offering that is wholehearted. If you come to church to worship God based off of how it meets your needs, you've gotten the whole thing out of line. I think one of the worst lies in the church is we pick worship that is comfortable in our style when God says, I have a specific worship of you, and it looks like sacrifice, not comfort. And the biggest churches in America have become the comfortable places because we are a nation that prides ourselves in our independence when Jesus came so that we could depend on him. Is that okay to... The thing about an all-in, wholehearted worship is that it breaks curses. Because when we offer him everything, he tells us that his presence dwells in our praise. So no matter what you're going through in life, when your response is praise, anything that is trying to come against you doesn't have oxygen to breathe, if you will. It doesn't have permission to walk in your space. Because the enemy tries to convince you of a reality that you're not good enough or you've messed up too much or that God can't do anything. And God says, I'm not going to dwell in your regret of what you haven't done. I'm going to dwell in the place where you give me praise no matter what. And when you get to that place, I'm going to make all the things that you walked out of alignment with work together for your good. That's what, when he dwells in the praises of his people, not the complaint, not the regret, but the praise of his people. God looks on favor at a people who praise him regardless. I remember going through things in my life like brain surgery. When I was at a place in my life where I had left all kind of good things, scholarships, college, opportunities and 
I had this brain tumor and I couldn't get money raised. I was frustrated. I was getting headaches. I was falling to the ground. I was going backwards. And the one thing that I remember in all of it is it started shifting when I looked at God and said, even if nothing happens, I still love you. And he started to dwell in that. And a lot of us are waiting to give God praise once there's a breakthrough, not realizing that breakthrough is dependent on your praise. Someone needs to hear that. In Malachi 2, I'm going to read the last two verses that we were, were in two weeks ago, just to give you a little bit of a reminder. It says, you priests have left God's past. Now remember, who are the priests today? Everyone. He says, I have made you a, a, a kings and priests. It says, you priests have left God's path. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin. You've corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of Heaven's army. So I have made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people. You have not obeyed me, but you've shown favoritism in the way you carry out my instructions. He says, priests, people of God, your role is to depart knowledge, reverence, and obedience in my name. But what you give is not sincere, and because you offer defiled fruit, many have stumbled into sin. The reason many have stumbled is that the priests of this time showed partiality in their judgment according to the law. Another way to say it is they served an unworthy design called people-pleasing. If there were certain people who were worth keeping to them, they would excuse their sin. And other people, they held more harshly because they weren't really advantageous to the priesthood. I fear that that's where church has gotten to over the years. Like when you treat the tithers better than the non-tithers. Tithing is not permission for relationship. Tithing is something between you and God. Is anybody, can anyone identify with what I'm talking about? How churches give preferential treatment to people who serve, but turn their back on people who don't? Like, we're all here for the same reason, despite whether or not you're volunteering. We're here to walk into the presence of God and give Him glory and praise. And what happens in church is we actually create divide in relation, looking at who serves and who doesn't, instead of coming here with one posture, my eyes are on the Father. And I believe... I don't think we have a, a major problem in this house. We have in years past, but I do want to make sure that we put it out there that as we move forward, we cannot give preferential relationship to those who serve and, those, and leave those who don't. Because the biggest way you can serve is to let everyone know how much God loves them and how much you do as well. The... I wonder, are we building his church with the design he's given us or an unworthy design because we would rather build members and to teach the truth without partiality? Because a lot of times in church, we'll tickle the ears of people who are advantageous to us. Preachers are so guilty of it. They'll tell the truth to people who are not serving but make excuses for those who are. I never want to be the type of person who holds back truth 
just because you're an integral part of the ministry. Truth should be given no matter what in an impartial way because the point of giving truth is to bring you closer to who he is. And in going closer to who he is, you're walking into truer identity of who you are. It it has become a personal prayer for me that every time we come together and worship, I leave with some sort of offense in my spirit. Not offended at you, but the Holy Spirit saying, get it right. That I leave with some sort of revelation that there is something that needs to align with God even more. Because anyone that thinks that you don't have more to line up with God, you're deceiving yourself. Every time we should come together, we should embrace and invite correction from the Holy Spirit. Every time we're alone, we should embrace and invite correction from the Holy Spirit. The greatest love is a father who will make sure that he is guiding us into who we are, not excusing what we've become. And what happened to the people, because these priests were making excuses of their sins, is the people couldn't even trust the interpretation of the priests anymore. Because they weren't being judged according to God. They were being judged according to how it worked good for the priests. We have to be a people that are unbiased when it comes to living out the truth set out by God. And one of the most biased truths, I believe, has become the meaning of worship. Because whether you like it or not, he does desire a certain kind of worship. And we have to stop buying into this idea as a people that the way we worship should be what makes us comfortable. Worship is about, I want to let God know how much I love him, how much I adore him. Not just when I come here on a Saturday night and lift up my hands, but worship in the way I speak to people, worship in the way I, I respond to offense. Everything I do is an act of worship. In the New Testament, there's a word for worship called proskuneo, meaning to kiss the hand toward one in reverence. To fall upon the knees, touch the ground to the forehead in reverence, kneeling before God. And yet people come to church and leave thinking, I never got anything out of that. I hear that jump more often than you realize. Are you leaving the church? Yeah, I'm just not getting anything out of it. The purpose of this gathering is not for you to come and get something out of it. The purpose of the gathering is for you to come to give him something. And the fruit of giving him something is that you will leave with something. But you can't come just to get something. You have to come saying, my posture in coming to this gathering is to kneel before the Father and give him reverence and give him worship. We have got to get out of this consumeristic idea in the church that we come to church to get a word or we come to church to get a healing. You come as a gathering of church to say, God, I love you. And if you ever judge a gathering based off of what you received, you have come in the wrong posture. That probably that's why the seats are getting thinner and thinner. Preaching words like this. But God changed the world with 12, and we got a lot more than 12 in here. 
I believe this house has, has been called as an apostolic remnant to represent this area. And we don't need thousands to change the environment. We just need two or three who want to go all in. John 4.23 says, The time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Someone say, in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in the spirit and truth. The context of this passage that Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And after she, she looks at him and says, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? I'm going to say that one again. Why is it that y'all think Jerusalem is the only place to worship? Jesus says, the time is coming when it ain't going to matter where you worship. Being in Jerusalem or being in the, the Holy Land does not bring you closer to God. It brings you closer to your religious strongholds. Y'all didn't like that. What's the religious stronghold? If I can get to Israel. Why do you think that there's a special anointing in Jerusalem that ain't here in this room right now? If you declare that he is everywhere. Is it a place that I want to go? Absolutely. I would love to see where Jesus walked, but I see where he walks right now. Killing sacred cows. And we, he says true worshipers understand that location is not the goal. The goal is your posture. And your posture should be of two things, in spirit and in truth. In spirit, meaning you're concerned with spiritual realities, not just the practice. So location is not your focus. His presence reality is your focus. In other words, when you worship him in spirit, you are realigning your focus that he is with you everywhere you go. So you treat your work environment as you would treat the altar, which is just six feet of space between a piece of wood and a chair, you would treat your work environment as you do the altar at church. Because you're not worshiping him in location. You're worshiping him in spirit. Everywhere I go, if he is present, he will get my worship and worship him in truth. That we have no bias with the word. That we don't take some and throw away the rest. We embrace all of it seeking for understanding and application. It's not enough for you just to know the truth. It means nothing to know the truth if you do not walk the truth. The application of truth is your worship. And God is looking for a bride that embraces this worship. Part of worship is lifestyle. And that's what he's going into with Malachi chapter 2. Is this okay? Okay. He says this in, in verse 10 where we're starting tonight. Are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? Then why do we betray each other? Violating the covenant of our ancestors. 
If we are all made in the image of God, we must honor and deal with each other with respect and reverence. Because you shift from dealing with a person to realizing you're dealing with a product of the Creator. Relational worship. I'm not dealing with John Collins, who didn't like me when he first met me. I am dealing with someone that God said, I'm going to create something and put this something in the earth and give him a name. So when I speak to John, I'm not just merely speaking to a John Collins. I am speaking to a John Collins, a creation of the Most High. And if God created it, there's something important about it, there's something specific about it, and I have a call to honor it. We need to shift our focus where we're not just dealing with people. We are dealing with created vessels, sons and daughters of the living God. The way we receive people, the way we reject people, the way we talk about people reveals your understanding of who they are. Y'all look like y'all getting a ruler slapped on you. <laughs> Why can you deal with someone who treats you horribly or slanders you or gossips you? Because you know something that they don't in that moment. They're created by the Father. And you want to sow any seed you can at a chance for them to have that revelation. Why do we love our enemies? Not to justify their issue but as an opportunity to sow a seed that perhaps they may get a revelation of who they truly are. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Give preference and outdo one another with honor. How do we apply this? When they do you wrong, your response is honor, not bitterness, not backbiting, not gossip, honor. Celebrate their wins. Stop envying their jealousy, with jealousy. Find ways to show love rather than point out their bad behavior. Is there a time for correction? Yes. But it can come from a good place rather than a heart to one-up them with your insight. Amen. The Word of God is speaking right now through the Bible app. The verse in the midst of a passage about be affectionate to one another and brotherly love is a passage actually called sacrificial worship. Honor is often sacrificial, and it's not a character to dismiss. Honor reveals true followers embracing connectivity to the body. And for far too long, we have missed the call to honor each other despite. We have to understand we are created children of God. Amen. Look, it's, 
Y'all focus here. I know that it's, it's, it's trying to distract. I want you, you are, we have got to remember that we are all sons and daughters of God. And if Jesus can die for me when I'm saying no to him, you can get over your junk to say yes to each other. That is walking in the likeness of who he is. It's a call, not an option. You know what relational worship's all about? You weren't created to do it alone. So stop trying to. That's called rebellion. We are called to be as a one body together. I'm going to go even further. I know that there's tons of people talking about me right now. I see it. I get screenshots. You know what my response is? It's not slander. It's not they're horrible. It's I love them and I pray that God would show them. We all, have to, we all have to get to that place. Now, sometimes I want to cuss them out under my breath. Can I just be transparent up here as the man of God? But our call is to link arms with each other. And how can God work in this thing? And it starts with us. Honor. Love. Loving our neighbors as ourselves. You can see how much you love you by how you treat them. Embracing connectivity doesn't look for chances to separate. Embracing connectivity is willing to lock arms in such a degree that accountability is the culture of the family, not division. In other words, you embrace accountability, not reject it. Because what's happened in the body of Christ is when we come together with disagreements... We somehow, everyone hears the Holy Spirit saying it's time to depart. That's, that, that is not a body of Christ. There are times where you break bones where your body feels like it's not a part of your body. You don't keep severing the bone. You put a cast on it. You mend it. You tend to it. You give it extra attention. Perhaps that's why the scripture says when you find the least in the body, give special attention to that that place. It's not fine reasons as to why the person doesn't fit. It's not fine reasons as to why people shouldn't belong to this body. It's outdo with honor and love despite how it makes you feel. And in that, you're worshiping God. Because he did the same for us. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is on time. And where God is about to talk to the people through the prophet Malachi is he's going to talk to the priests who are perverting the marriage relationship. And he's about to start addressing relational aspects of what worship is all about. He says this in verse 11 and 12. Judah has been unfaithful. And a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. May the Lord cut off from the nation of Israel every last man who has done this and yet brings an offering to the Lord of heaven's armies. Leave that up there. The Lord does not view any aspect of marriage as casual. Marriage is holy. And he created it. Not just the marriage of a man and a woman, but the bride of Christ to himself. None of it's casual. 
So the way you treat marriage is actually, actually revealing of how you honor the one who created it. When marriage vows are broken, we sin against a God-created thing. Not just from man to woman, but from God, the Father, to the people. Whether you like it or not, whether it's a tithe or gossiping or backbiting or slander, every time we do something that's out of alignment, we're dishonoring the marriage relationship. And what the church has taught is feel bad about it and beat yourself up for it, where God is trying to make us understand all it takes is a simple step forward. Because in everything you've done wrong, you don't have to be embarrassed about it. He still welcomes you with open arms. Because he wants you to walk out of the place and walk with him. The biggest lie that the church has taught is that God, when Adam and Eve sinned, God wanted nothing to do with Adam and Eve, so he banished him from the garden. The moment Adam and Eve sinned, God showed up for a walk, and they did not. You know what that tells me? Sin did not separate God from us. Sin caused us to separate from the Father. If you think sin caused God to say no, you have a very small perception of how good and strong he is. Sin is not more powerful than God. Adam and Eve sinned, and God showed up and said, where are you at? Why are you hiding from me? And what's happened in church is that we'll all celebrate there's Five people saved this week, and there's this much money brought in this year. But we don't celebrate when someone comes up front and says, I have a porn addiction, help me through it. We don't celebrate, I'm struggling with an addiction, help me through it. We look down on them instead of celebration, the authenticity of I need you. A strong body of believers are people who are not scared to be transparent about our weak places and will embrace it together. Not trying to show people why they're less than us because we got it right. Because I guarantee you there's other places where you don't. This is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. The purpose of marriage is not convenience. The purpose of marriage is not how it works for you. The purpose of marriage is saying yes to create a completion. Genesis 2, 22 to 25. The Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man at last. At last. The man exclaimed. <laughs> oh. This... <laughs> This one is bone from my bone. See, nothing is new. <laughs> God did it all. The one, this one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she's taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. Now the man and his wife are both naked, but they felt no shame. Why does a man and wife join together? They are joining back together a thing that originated as one. So a marriage that reveres the one who created two to be one will always be stronger than trying to be individual. That is between a man and woman literally. That is between the church and God. He says, 
everything started out as one. So to walk into a marriage relationship with the Creator is, to, is an invitation back into oneness. What is oneness with us and God? I don't make decisions without Him. I don't talk about people without His voice. Because His voice is not condemning. The woman was taken from the man. The bride was made from husband. A covenant marriage to God is proper relational worship so that we can walk into proper oneness with the bridegroom, Jesus. Many love to worship in corporate settings, but we forget that we're married to him at all times and we're called to walk this earth in a relational posture at all times. So this is the mindset that we have to break down if we're going to walk as a house that is different, as a house that is walking in new ways. What we have to break down is the religious stronghold of I've got to get the church to get in presence. We have made this gathering this idolized idea of if I can get to church. Church is not a meeting. Church is a people. This corporate gathering has, has got to shift mindsets. We're not coming here because we need to get in the presence of God. We're coming in here so that we can worship God as a unified people and get the instruction and teaching needed to walk out every God-given assignment every minute of our lives. I believe the biggest, this is going to sound really bad, but I believe the biggest weakness of the church is making church weekends about getting everyone saved. There are many people that come to church that need to get saved. That's why we have opened up a salvation altar call every week. But we have got to shift from the purpose of meeting for salvation to the purpose of meeting to get strong, filled, and equipped so that salvation moments can happen everywhere we go because we don't mind the interruption anymore. We come here to get the sharpening, the training, the conviction of going deeper. Not so you can mark it off as I got to church. You have church when you're simply with someone else. Husbands, wives, y'all have church every day because we're two or more gathered. We have the reason we call this a worship gathering. The reason the reason we say welcome home is because we do not come to church. We are a church that comes together. We are a body of believers that comes together in a relational posture of God. Here we are. What would you have us do? And the church needs to stop looking at each other as threats and start revering each other as potential. Uh, Malachi looks at the people and says, you defiled my sanctuary. He says, priest, you're marrying women who worship idols. In other words, he says, you guys are making covenant with ungodly things. And it isn't about the women. 
It's they were defiling order in a marriage with God. In Numbers 25, it's not up there, but Israel married women from Moab and it brought a curse on the people. In First Kings 11, Solomon married foreign women who took his heart away from God. In First Kings 16, Ahab married Jezebel who led Israel into depravity, corruption, and wickedness. In 2 Corinthians, Paul looks at believers and unbelievers and says, y'all shouldn't be joined because what you have relationship with affects your worship. Relational worship is not just how you praise God, but how you praise God in every relationship you have on earth. With your wife, with your husband, with your mom, with your dad, with your friends, with strangers, with unbelievers, with believers, with how you talk about leaders who are godly and are not godly. You do not get to condemn anyone. That is not your job. And anyone who speaks that it is okay to condemn leadership is speaking on behalf of the devil himself. And I will say that boldly. That is not the culture of a people who are married to him. How we praise God, in it, the worship is how we praise God in every relationship we have. What was God's response to Malachi? He says, I'm going to cut you off from the nation of Israel, according to Malachi. He says, I'm going to cut off the nation of Israel, every last man who has done this and yet brings an offering to the Lord. God takes relationship and covenant very seriously. What you walk in covenant with here on earth is indicative of how you honor the covenant there in heaven. What you walk in covenant with here on earth is a mirror image of how you walk in covenant with the creator in heaven. You know what that should cause in us? I want to lay down every idol before the throne of God. Because I don't want any separation. And what we do is we make excuses for the compromise instead of being willing to submit more to the relationship. Matthew 6.22 says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. And when you have eyes for things that do not look like God, your temple will be defiled with darkness instead of the light. Because you'll begin to agree with what your eyes are cast on, and you'll start to enter into relationships that fill the body with things not of God. So you have people entering into relationship with drugs and alcohol because we're getting a fulfillment from the thing that replaced what the father should be doing. We have people addicted to pornography because they're getting fulfillment from something outside of the covenant with God. There's addiction with gossip. Because we would rather talk about other people's issues and say, God, here are mine. We have relationship with religion. Because it's no longer about relationship with God. It's about making sure all my checks, all, all my boxes are checked. I did it. 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 
I want to remind you, God is talking to the priests and saying, all you who do this for a living are getting it wrong. In other words, they were checking every box. They were going to the temple. Remember it says that you, you married wives who have idols? They're trying to figure out what they did wrong. And God's like, what did you do wrong? You're, you are literally having a relationship with everything that doesn't look like me. And yet you come to church, you come to sanctuary, you come to temple, and you act like everything's okay. He says, you priests are doing, every, you're doing everything. You're praying this many amount of times a day. You're singing the songs. You're singing the songs of David. You're offering the sacrifices. He says, I don't want any of it. Because nothing about your relationships look like me. God takes relationship and covenant seriously. We must keep our eyes fixed on him because it causes us to make decisions that look like him, thereby fulfilling our marriage covenant with him. And when we do that, our eyes will be drawn to the things that please a marriage with God. Now, I want to kind of bring this to the table just to make sure that we don't leave here with at a full compass of truth because the scripture is saying, don't you dare get married to people who don't believe in me. But what's the deal if we've already entered into a covenant marriage and now we're like, oh my gosh, they, they're not believers. Well, 1 Corinthians 7 says that's no reason to divorce. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians 7, specifically addressing believers who have married unbelievers, it's kind of like this. You got it wrong, but this is how you move forward. Bring holiness to the other. They will see light or they will, or they will separate themselves. Your call is not to exit because it's wrong. Your call is to shine the light of God so they have to submit to one of two things, God or divorce. But they choose that. Now, having said that, if you have been through divorce and you're like, I got some things wrong, any church or any pastor or any priest that says you are not worthy of marriage is an idiot. Repent and be made new. I'll probably get calls. What's the point of all this? Live that peace as best you can as you worship him. Everything that enters your life and exits should be a fruit of relational worship with God. Your friends enter and exit because of your marriage with God. Your spouse enters or exits because of a marriage with God. Your actions enter or exit because of the marriage with God. Set your mind on things above. Because what you give your eyes focus to is oftentimes what you'll receive. In Colossians 2, 3, 2 to 3, it says, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. He says your, your life is hidden. It's hidden in Christ. So what you give a relationship to will either help you see the life or become blind to it. Y'all hear that? What you give relationship to will either help you see this life or become blind to it. 
I wonder how often we marry with foreign lovers and thereby causing us to walk out of alignment with marriage with God and a lifestyle of worship. Because we have so many foreign lovers. America, as free as it is, I believe has become so locked up and we're blind to it. Maybe this is offensive to you, and I don't mean for it to be. But anytime we give anything else preference over coming together in worship, there's an issue. And don't worry, I'm not saying that, you, that there's no reason you, you can miss on a Saturday. I'm, I'm not doing that. What I'm talking about, though, is getting so lost in a relationship with God that you're not finding a reason to be filled anywhere else but Him. I truly believe that a, a church walking in freedom and in truth realizes, I'm mean, just, just being real, and this is like the most horrible thing to say as a pastor because as a pastor you're supposed to you know, guilt people and they come to church every Saturday. But uh, that's a joke, by the way. <clears throat> but we've got to get to a place where we're so secure in our relationship that missing a worship gathering does not affect your relationship. Right? Because like... <clears throat> Maybe husband and wives in here, maybe for some reason Saturday night, you know, because we're the only weird church that does only Saturdays, maybe for some reason God has called some of you husbands to take your wife out for dinner. And that worship is better for you than coming here. That's okay. If, if, if you are giving him your all, because you're no longer dependent on this. And that's the most dangerous thing for someone like me to say in the eyes of man. But we are not building this house to be dependent on an attendance. The purpose of this house to is to equip you to live as a believer. Period. And you can be just as holy right now on a Saturday at dinner with your spouse. And you can be just as holy eating dinner late because you want to get here. What's my... We have, we have caught... I don't even know why I'm in this tonight. Is this speaking to anyone? We, we have built a church culture around guilt people into coming... And you're going to be less holy if you miss. What we need to embrace is we are sons and daughters of the living God. And wherever we are, we are in the presence of God. So the way we worship Him here on Saturdays is the way we worship Him, you know, at, at, at a, a, a place like Olive Garden. Or even, you know, an unholy place like, you know, Publix, or you know, like, 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 we have got to be a people where no matter where we go, we have the same worship and relationship with the Father, not based off of the people we're with, but with the God that we're submitted to. And if we would get that mindset when we come together, oh, how awesome it will be. Because this coming together is not getting you to the place. It's agreement with where we have all gotten to. Amen. 
Where am I at? And marriage is entered in when a bride accepts the invitation by the groom. The problem is, many of us have a suitcase full of invitations with RSVPs, and God's invitation is lost in the mix. When his invitation should filter the opening of all invitations. You may read that again. We have a suitcase full of invitations that we have RSVP to. And God's invitation gets lost in the mix. When God's invitation should be the filter of all other opening of invitations. And one can look at your actions and tell what invitation you've accepted. Three hour quiet times don't prove relationship. The way you honor time with God in all things prove the relationship. For some, I don't know why I wrote this down, three-hour quiet times are likened to being married to someone you don't really know anymore. You like the idea of it, but don't walk it. Think about it. We've been married 25 years. That don't mean nothing. What good is 25 years of marriage if you are miserable 25 years? Right? I can take any marriage problem and get down to the same root. And this is with God as well. Every marriage problem comes down to the same root. Communication and honor. If you struggle to know God's purpose for your life, I question are you married to him in such a way that you honor what he's already communicated so that you, be, so that you can begin to distinguish his voice in all things. I can't hear the voice of God, Kyle. Help me to hear his voice. Start with what you've already heard. How do I get to know the voice of God? Do I believe God speaks outside of pages? Absolutely. But you won't recognize what his voice looks like until you start honoring the voice that's recorded. God's calling all kind of people tonight. <laughs> Even elders in the church, elders who set the example on the front row. <laughs> look, look at verse 13 in Malachi 2. Is this okay tonight? Here's another, here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altars with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. That's... That's savage. Because that's a lot of people's worship experience. They come to church and they cry at the altar and, oh, Lord, change my life. And you don't do anything with what he tells you in that moment. I kind of hinted at it a couple weeks ago, but we want deliverance, but we don't want to walk out with instruction. We want to be, you know, delivered. So I got people walking out on me. We, he's an elder. That's funny. We've got people. Where am I at? They want deliverance, but they don't want to walk with instruction. Like, we got people that come. Thank you. We got people that are asking, like, God, deliver me from this thing, and we'll accept the prayer but we won't walk out with anything to do. Like, 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 like if you're struggling with an addiction and, and, and you say, pray for me, then deliver it, and you receive it, 
And then you go out and make no changes in your life. And here's the lie. You think the only change you need to make. Let, 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 let's talk about alcohol and drugs um, and overeating, right? Let, let's talk about those three. Let's put them on an equal plane. We're not going to pretend alcohol is worse than gluttony. Okay? Same, same plane. Here's what we do. Gosh, people hate me tonight. Here's, here's what we do. Here's what we do. We'll look at these things and we'll, and, and we'll say, God, deliver me from the alcohol. And the only thing we think we need to change is I better not buy the alcohol. Or I better not go to the restaurant. But we never take the time to pray about am I tied in a relationship that keeps bringing that thing to me? Like some people can't get close to God because they're not willing to give up close friendships. I noticed in my life, I started to walk in greater depths of ministry. This is before Relentless started. When I saw my best friends less. Because the people you're closest to, whether you like it or not, will begin to influence you. So the ones in your circle can be of good influence or not. And we'll love, let me get delivered, but we don't like to walk out, distance the relationship. Because I want to be a light. What if being the light is saying I'm no longer in communion with that? These are just questions we have to ask. You cry out, verse 14, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you've been unfaithful to her, and though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Let me give you context in the scripture. The wives are covering the altars with tears and weeping. The husbands, the priests, are presenting offerings to God. Malachi says, hey, priest, you want to know why God ain't answering your prayers? Because you come to him with worship offerings while you cheat on your wife. And many come to church giving God praise and treating God like a slot machine. We put in an offering of worship hoping God will bless us with a breakthrough while every other moment is given to every other lover. We love to sing praises to God. But we have intimacy with every other lover Sunday through Friday. Giving our time and focus to everything but God. You being faithful when no one is seeing, are you being faithful when no one is seeing in such a way that when you come here, your voice is familiar to God, not a foreign sound? A very popular passage, is, and don't put it up there yet, is Psalm 91. It tells us that God is our refuge and our strength our place of safety. He rescues us from every trap. He protects us from every disease. He covers us. He shelters us. He protects us. He orders his angels to come to us. And we'll read that psalm and we'll praise God, but we skip verse 1. It says in Psalm 91.1, He who dwells in the secret place 
of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You want refuge, you want strength, you want safety, you want protection, you want covering, you want shelter, you want angels to be around you. Simple, dwell in the secret place. God will know the sound of your voice and you will know the sound of his voice when you begin to dwell in the secret place of relational worship. You include him in all things, in all conversations, in all responses. God wants communication. He wants the dinner dates called communion. He wants the dinner dates of serving. He wants you to dwell in him in all things. Malachi 2.15 says, Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you're his. What does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Godly children, he says, are your union. Not just children. Godly children. It's not enough that you're producing fruit in your life. It's not just produce fruit. It's produce godlike fruit. It's not about how successful you are if the success is not God-ordained. And what I mean by God-ordained is not is someone walking in their calling. I mean, is what they're profiting what God wanted them to profit? Like, when we sow seeds and God says, I want to grow that thing, is the fruit of your life from a relational place with God to where it looks like Him. You have people that have million-dollar homes and picturesque marriages and none of it looks like God. But they're producing fruit. But the fruit ain't God-like. You can have hundreds and thousands of people come to the church. It's not enough that there's fruit called people that come together to worship. It's are the people pursuing God together. Because great business people can build great organizations and just simply call it church. But is the people coming to worship God walking in such a way where we're surrendered to say, God, change me, mold me, renew my mind? What's the point? Is what you produce of God-like character. Your loyalty to God in relational worship will produce offspring that he delights in and others will see his glory in. One can tell by what you produce what you're married to. So don't live in the illusion that you're married to God when I have to ask you if you're a Christian. Is this too hard? Malachi 2.16. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. We divorce from things that you don't constantly pour into. Perhaps God hates divorce 
because his character is never wanting to divorce us. Even in sin, he showed up for the walk in the garden. They separated themselves and for the rest of eternity, God has constantly tried to mend and protect the marriage with his people. Guard your heart, he says. Do not let other lovers cause us to be unfaithful to the relationship with him. Unfaithfulness comes from lack of relationship. A change of feelings are not the means for divorce. Which is why God can be angry with us and still want marriage. Some of you need to hear that. God can be angry with you and it's actually simply a display of his love. Because his anger is my bride is not close to me. So he's angry about the things that have replaced him, but it doesn't make him say, I want a divorce. His response is, let me give you a helper so that you can draw near. The answer in everything with worship to God is draw close to him. He doesn't want a distant worship. He doesn't want a far-off relationship. He wants you to be close. He wants you to be exposed with all of your shortcomings. God knows I've got a lot of shortcomings. I know most of y'all, y'all got a whole bunch of shortcomings. And he says, draw, draw close to me with that. It says in James 4, 8, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, because your loyalty is divided between God and the world. He's always waiting for you to show up and draw near. Drawing close is the purifying of hearts and loyalty. Washing hands. Remove the grip of your sinful pursuits. Remove the grip of what you've compromised in. Confess it and let it go. That's what drawing close. You see, when, when, you, when you draw close to God, the things that you're holding on to, you'll find that the, the closer you draw, your, your grip starts to do this. It loosens because your hand shifts from what you've held on to to wanting to just hear. That's the beauty of relational worship and understanding how much God wants you close. You do not get to say, I cannot come before God because of my sin. He says, the answer to the clinging of your sin is to draw close to me. How good is it of a God to say, despite how unworthy you are, the answer is that I've made you worthy to dwell in my presence. Come close to me. The, 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 when, when Jesus was on the cross, the biggest ministry moment for one of them was right there next to him, dying as a guilty man. He didn't know anything else to do. He said, you know what? He was condemning himself and, 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 and looked to Jesus and saw something in him. And, and the, the fruit of it was Jesus says, hey, today you're going to join me. Because in your, in your weakest moment, 
You came close to me. Why, why is it that church has judged people for weakness when weakness is the place of intimate relationship? When we're weak, we need him. That's why the scripture says that when we're weak, he's strong. Say, I, I, can't, I can't do this without you, God. And whether you like it or not, the reason that we are connected as a body of believers, it is completely okay that we can't do life without each other. That doesn't mean you're weak. It means your eyes are open to how you're meant to operate. <clears throat> this past year, there have been so many people walking into a revelation of who he is and their gifting where I, I, my phone blows up with God told me this, God told me that, God told me this, God told me that. And a lot of times I don't respond and you have no idea that the stuff you're sending me is exactly what I need in the moment. And what should give you peace is not when I respond, but that you're simply releasing the seed that God's given you from heaven. Because I can tell you, I've been in ministry almost 20 years, but I can't do it without you. You can't do it without me. We're meant to do life together. It's the call of God. It's relational worship. We, we are the temple. The God of the universe wants you. And I can tell you, I believe that this house is destined to change this area. And I believe it's already happening. And could you imagine what would happen if we just locked, locked arms even closer? And we have a lot of different people in this house with a lot of different backgrounds, with a lot of different types of knowledge. And it's really easy to have conversations over pizza about how crazy someone else is. But could we dare to believe that there's something in them that could awaken something in us? Malachi 2.17 says, You've wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied them, you ask? You've wearied him by saying that all who are do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and he's pleased with them. You've wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? See, in Malachi's day, the people of God were depressed, they were discouraged, the wicked were prospering, and they were like, all the people who are not worshiping God, they're doing well. So that must be what we need to do. Because we will make evil things look inviting when it seems like it can be advantageous to us. They were comparing themselves with others and calling God unjust. When the truth was, their lack of relationship was the unjust thing that caused a distance. Because worship is not meeting once a week. Worship is not the expression. Or it, worship, is, worship is the expression of your relationship. We can never accuse God of injustice. What is injustice? What is accusing God of injustice? When you have a mindset of God has let me down, God didn't come through. Where was God in that? You need to kill that thought and embrace the truth and realize that if you feel God is distant, that's revealing where you're at in the relationship, not where he is. 
Because just like with Adam and Eve, he's still showing up for the walk every single day. And I believe that there are people in this room, <clears throat> maybe over the, I don't know, specifically I think the past few weeks where you have experienced a lot of thoughts, a lot of doubts, a lot of warfare, a lot of struggle. You're questioning things. And I believe the Lord is reminding you, draw close to him. Don't try to figure it out. The best way to figure it out is to not try to figure it out. It's to draw close. Lord, here I am. Lord, I've got some weak places. Here they are. Coming together and saying, hey, I got a weak place. Can you help me through it? You see, relational worship is with God and with other sons and daughters. I close with Deuteronomy 31.8 tonight. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will never, never fail you. He will never abandon you. Any truth of his presence that is not close is a revealer that you have not given him proper relational worship. It's a simple call. Give him all. Give him transparency. Because he loves you just the same. You don't earn love by getting better. Love is the invitation to go deeper in your walk. Let's stand tonight. <clears throat> I believe that I can see it all over the place that there are things that God is speaking to you specifically. And I'm going to ask, as we do every week, to take conversations to the lobby and let this place be set aside for all of us just to have some time with God. There's communion available. You can pray at the altar. You can pray in your seat. You can ask for prayer. You can do whatever you want. But I encourage you, whatever God is highlighting to you, do not leave here without some sort of yes, God moment. You can take 30 seconds. You can take 30 minutes. You can take three hours. Jacob will be here all night. He's good, and he loves you. Go deeper in relationship with him. Nothing you've done is too, too big. He's too good. The only thing separating from you from God is yourself. Let's draw near to him. Let's draw near to each other. Let's walk as his body. Lord, I thank you for this word tonight. I thank you for what you've deposited in us tonight. And that as we leave here, God, we will leave with a deeper revelation of your goodness, your kindness, your love, and we will leave closer to you. Lord, if there's anything that, if there's confusion about why there has been a distance, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us and bring to light to the forefront of our minds why we've been distant. 
God, I, I ask you on behalf of the people that for those staying behind or even those on the way home in the car, whatever we need to hear from you tonight, God, our, our ears are open, our eyes are open. Tell us and show us. If you're ready to receive that from God, just say yes. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.